You're listening to a sermon preached at Cheo English Ministry in Sydney. We believe that God speaks through His Word, the Bible. We pray that as you listen, you will hear God's voice and be moved to worship His Son, the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given to us your Word, the Bible. We thank you, Lord, that it teaches us the truth about Jesus and the truth about what it looks like to trust in Him. Lord, we thank you that your word teaches us how to live lives that are pleasing to you. Lord, please help us today to understand your word rightly and to see the relevance to our lives. Lord, please help us, Lord, to understand rightly what it looks like for us to live as your people here and now as we await glory. Lord, give us ears to hear and hearts to receive what you want to be telling us today. For all men are like grass. And all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Amen. Life isn't easy. Life is not easy. Right now, many, if not most of us, are struggling with something. Right now, at this current moment, many of us, if not most of us, are going through stuff. Perhaps we're struggling with the challenges of lockdown and working from home. Or perhaps we're mourning the loss of loved ones. Friends, as we live this life, we struggle. We struggle with sickness. We struggle with depression. We struggle with young families and the challenges that brings. We, we struggle with tough jobs. We struggle in difficult marriages. We, we struggle with money stress. We struggle with oftentimes difficult family relationships. Friends, right now, I'm convinced many, if not most of us, are struggling with something. And then, what is more, there's frustration at ourselves. Frustration that we can't overcome that besetting sin. Frustration that we can't seem to get our relationships right. We've got all these good intentions about how we're going to make our marriage work or how we're going to get on with our parents or siblings or how we're going to handle stuff better at work and in our personal lives. But it keeps being tough. We're struggling. And meanwhile, you've got all these Christians out there who are telling us it shouldn't be happening. We shouldn't be struggling. You have churches and preachers out there who are saying, we as Christians should not be struggling with these things. If we were proper Christians, they say, we wouldn't be suffering. If we were real genuine converts, we wouldn't be struggling with these things in life. You've got people telling us that Christianity should be solving all our problems here and now, and that there's something wrong with our faith if we're struggling. You've got people and churches telling us that if you've got enough faith, then you'll be healed of all your diseases. If you have enough faith, then you'll be cured from your depression. You've got churches and leaders out there who will tell you that you can perfectly overcome sin here on this earth and be sinless and perfect. There are other Christians who say that if you just trust in God and if you give money to the church, then you get the blessings of success and comfort that God will make you wealthy, that He will give you the abundant life, they say, the, the, the victorious life, that, that, that a life of overflow, they say. 
You've got other Christians who say that if we Christians can just get our act together and if we live in the power of the Spirit, then we can change our world, that we can make our world a place of peace and justice and happiness. People are making all these great claims for Christianity and, and, then, and then there's our lives. Friends, and the big problem is all these high claims don't match our experience of reality, do they? The fact is, life is full of suffering and frustration and struggle. That's just the reality. Our lives are full of sin and failure and guilt and pain and suffering and death. Some years ago, I remember visiting a lady in hospital. She was crippled. Uh, she was very sad, but more than that, she was very angry. She felt ripped off by what she had been taught in church. She said to me, Matt, in church, I kept reading stories about how Jesus came to people and said things like, get up and walk. And they did. She said to me, well, where is he now? He's no good to me now, is he? So much for all your Christianity, the whole thing's a big waste of time. What a lame joke. What should it feel like for Christians living this life here and now? What should we expect here and now? Friends, that's the question I want to ask you today. What should it feel like to be a Christian here and now, you and me? Should we expect health and wealth and success and happiness and peace and overflowing? Should we expect to be satisfied and fulfilled? Should we expect that we won't be touched, troubled by sin anymore? Should we expect that it will be really easy to obey God? Should we expect that suddenly our relationship with God and our relationship with other people will be all easy and all fixed and sorted out? Is Christianity going to fix all our problems here and now? Or, on the other hand, is Christianity irrelevant to life here and now? Is all this Christianity stuff just pie-in-the-sky-when-you-die kind of thing? Should we expect that life will be exactly the same as it is for non-Christians? Is being a Christian going to make any difference at all? Friends, last week, in the first part of Romans chapter 8, we saw some of the great benefits of being a Christian. We saw some of the great benefits of being in the new covenant, of serving God in the new way of the Spirit. We saw that as Christians, God's law has been fulfilled for us by Jesus. God gave him as a sin offering, and God has used Jesus, and he has paid the full penalty for our disobedience to the law. Jesus has lived the perfect life. Now the law is fulfilled for us in Christ, and so now, there is no condemnation for those of us who trust in Jesus. More than that, we saw that we had been given to God's Spirit, to the Holy Spirit, the Spirit who's working in us to help us obey God, the Spirit who is working in us so that we can call upon God as our Father, the Spirit who's giving us life now and who will raise us from the dead in the future in the same way that He raised Jesus from the dead. We saw also that the Spirit shows us that we are heirs 
of this new heaven and new earth, that we are heirs of God, inheriting all the good things that He wants to give us as our loving Father. So far in Romans chapter 8, things are looking very positive. Uh, it's really a positive and an encouraging picture that we get so far in chapter 8. As we come out of the struggles of the Old Testament, if you remember in the second half of chapter 7, with the wanting to do what pleases God, but not being able to do it, with that stuff in chapter 7, we've now come into this new life in the Spirit in Romans chapter 8, and so far we've seen great benefits. It's really been an encouraging thing. We've seen that being a Christian really does make a difference. But then in verse 17 of chapter 8, we saw just a hint that life in the Spirit is not going to be all beer and chips. It's not going to be all flowers and sunshine and chocolate. It's not going to solve all our problems here and now. Paul says, we're following Christ into glory. And that's true. We are. But notice the pathway that Paul shows us in verse 17. We're also following Jesus' pathway, and that was a pathway of suffering into glory. Look with me in your Bibles at Romans chapter 8, verse 17. Romans chapter 8, verse 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in His sufferings in order that we may also share in His glory. As Christians... Our present experience is not the glory that we are destined for. Our present experience will include suffering. That's the Bible's picture. And so that's what Paul goes on to discuss in this next section of Romans chapter 8. Paul's talking about life in the Spirit, and he's talking about life in the Spirit in this world. That's what he's talking about now. Being a Christian in this world, in this lifetime, before we get to glory, before we get to heaven. Paul is now talking about what Christians can expect now, in this side of eternity. In verse 18, he talks about our present and our future. He says, in the present we suffer, but we've got this hope of glory. We, we've got this hope of a glory that will make the pain of life here on earth seem like nothing. Look with me at verse 18. Chapter 8, verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Can you see? Glory is coming. For sure, it's coming. But it's not yet. And we need to get very clear what happens when. We need to be very clear about what to expect. We can't afford to be confused about this because we don't want to expect the blessings of heaven here and now, because if we do, we'll be very disappointed and our life will be just marked by sadness. And so Paul goes on in these next few verses to show how the essence of life in the Spirit here and now is hope. Hope. Not just a I hope so kind of a hope, but a certain hope, a concrete hope, a sure hope, still a hope nonetheless. We're not in glory yet, but what we've got now is a hope. He starts off by talking about our fallen world. As Christians, we're still living in this world, aren't we? And this is a world that is very clearly under the judgment of God, right? Way back in the beginning, as we saw in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, they disobeyed God. 
They were thrown out of the Garden of Eden, and at that same time, creation itself was reshaped, if you like. The ground was cursed, we read. God, the great creator, he remodeled the world, so to speak, so that it can be a place where sinners can dwell, that it can be a place where sinners like you and me can live. God subjected the creation to frustration so that it could accommodate sinful people. Look with me at verse 19 and 20. Verse 19 and 20. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. Sin brought consequences for the whole of creation, all of it. We see that God has subjected creation to frustration, and clearly that's still the way things are, right? Friends, I don't know if you've noticed, but we're not living in Eden, are we? We're not living in heaven, right? We're living in this world, still under the curse of sin, under the judgment of God, God's righteous judgment that he gave for Adam's sin and for our sin. But Paul tells us there is hope. There is hope for creation. And the hope of creation is tied to our hope. It's intricately connected to our hope. When God brings his people into eternal life, when he gives to his people resurrection, he's actually going to transform the whole of creation. Our sin had consequences for creation and our salvation will have consequences for creation as well. Creation is going to be transformed into a new heaven and a new earth. Look with me at verse 20 and 21. Verse 20 and 21. For the creation was subjected to frustration in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. And so creation is living in hope, waiting, groaning, longing, yearning, waiting for us, the first piece of creation, the best thing of all creation, waiting for us humans to come into our glory, waiting for our salvation to be completed so that it too can be transformed. Look with me at verse 22. Verse 22 reads, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Do you see what Paul's saying here? We're in our fallen world. That's true. We're in a world of decay, a world of death. We're in a world that stings us and bites us and burns us and drowns us and buries us. We're not in the Garden of Eden. We're in a world made for sinners, a frustrated world, a sin-tainted world, if you like. So there's no point expecting glory now. There's no point hopping into a lion's den and thinking that it's all going to be okay. Glory is to come, but it's not yet. Glory is to come, and the whole of creation will be transformed by it. The day is coming when you will be able to hop into a lion's den and it'll be fine. The day is coming when things won't eat you or bite you or sting you or hurt you. The whole of creation, we're told, is going to be transformed. But it's not now. It's still a future hope. It's a future hope for creation 
And it's a future hope for us, you and me. For now, like with the rest of creation, Christians will suffer. And Paul goes on after this, and he talks about what it feels like to be a spirit-led person in this fallen world, in the time before we get resurrected and in the time before we get brought into glory, but yet given the Holy Spirit for sure. And he says that it's frustrating. Yes and amen. He says it's frustrating for us as sinners in this now and not yet time, in this tension of waiting for resurrection. He says that we humans, we're groaning as well. Look with me at verse 23 and 24. Chapter 8, verse 23 and 24. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. Friends, if you think about it, you can see why this is. You can see why it is so frustrating to be a Christian. I mean, uh, Christians, right? Christian. Now we know that this world isn't all there is, right? That's a great thing that happened in our conversion. We know that this world is not all there is. Now we know as Christians that this isn't the way that it was meant to be originally by the Creator God. Now we know as Christians that a time is coming when you and I will be resurrected and that we won't have this frail, sickly body. We were not going to struggle with sin and temptation anymore. Now we know that a time is coming when we won't have the pain of suffering. A time where there is no pandemic, no lockdown. A time that is coming that has no suffering, no cancer, no divorce, no pain, no suffering, no sin, no sadness. As Christians, now we know that a time is coming when death itself will be taken away and removed forever. If you think about it, before, before our conversion, you might have just accepted the things the way they are, right? As a non-Christian, you might have just gotten used to this world. You might have just, in a way, accepted your sin. You might have just resigned yourself to suffering and pain. It's kind of like being born in a prison. If you never know there's an outside world, if you've never seen a flower, then you think that life in prison is normal. You get used to it. That is your normal. As ordinary, unconverted people, we might think that this sin-tainted world is normal. But when we trust in Jesus, when God saves us, when we get that first taste of heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit, suddenly we glimpse a flower. We see a sunset. Suddenly we see the beauty that we're missing. Suddenly we see how abnormal sin is. We see how abnormal our suffering is. We see just how gross it is that people die. And it's great that we see that. But it's also frustrating. And so we groan. We groan. We yearn, we long for heaven. We long to be resurrected. We long to have Jesus come back and take us out of this darkness and pain. We're not resurrected yet. We don't have it all yet, that's true. What the Holy Spirit does, He gives us hope. And Paul goes on to say that this hope, 
Hope by very nature, it means you haven't got yet what you hope for. So what you need to do is to be patient. Look with me at verse 24 and 25. Verse 24, 25. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. The essence of life in the Spirit in this world is hope. We don't have everything yet. We don't have resurrection yet. We're not in glory yet. But then we don't have nothing as Christians either, do we? We've got the Holy Spirit. We've got the first taste of heaven. And with the first taste of heaven, we've, we've got the sure hope that God's going to bring the rest. It's guaranteed. That glorious day is coming for sure. The Spirit gives us hope. And in the same way, He gives us hope to help us endure. And in the next section, we see that the Holy Spirit also prays for us. He prays for us. He prays for us when we don't know what to pray. He prays prayers for us that are in accordance with God's perfect will. The Spirit prays prayers that God will answer for us. Look with me at verse 26 and 27. Verse 26 and 27. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. To be honest, I don't often know what to pray for, especially in the face of suffering. When I'm going through a hard time, I don't really know what I should be praying for. When I'm facing a difficult choice that I need to make, I often don't know what to pray for. When I'm facing temptation to sin, I don't really know what to pray for. Here is a great temptation before me. What am I going to pray? Friends, the truth is, I can't see into the future. I don't know what the future holds. I, I, I oftentimes don't know what the best choice is to make. And I'm weak. And I'm sinful. And to be honest, I don't even necessarily want what's best for me at times. And so I don't know what to pray for. And chances are, I can pray for the wrong thing, right? And if you can think about that, the fact that you and I might pray for the wrong thing, isn't that concerning? Isn't that a bit of a worry? I mean, what if I pray for the wrong thing? What if I mess up because of my sin and my selfish desires and I, and I trick myself and I, and I pray for the wrong thing? What if I mess up so bad that I actually end up falling away? What if I pray for the wrong thing and God actually gives it to me and then I leave the faith and I end up in hell? What if in my sinfulness and in my weakness, my prayers actually lead me away from God? It's a worry. And friends, that's why it's such great news that the Spirit is praying for us. See, I might not know what to pray. I might be weak and sinful and just dumb. But God's Spirit in me is praying for me. God's Spirit in me prays the right thing for me. He prays in accordance with God's will for me. He prays prayers that God hears and answers for my good. 
The Holy Spirit prays for me. If you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit prays for you. Let me ask you, do you think God the Father is going to answer the prayers of the Holy Spirit? Praise the Lord, right? The Holy Spirit prays for you, prays for me. The Spirit prays the prayers I ought to pray. He prays the prayers that I need to pray if I'm going to stand firm as a Christian in all circumstances in life, whether I'm facing suffering or temptation, whatever else it might be. And so that feeds back into my hope, does it not? It's not left up to me to make sure that I get the right prayers to make sure that I pray the right prayer so that I hold on to the gospel as a Christian. No, friends, you don't need to stress that you're always going to pray the right thing. Jesus is praying for you at the right hand of God. Verse 34. More than that, the Spirit of God is praying for you from within you. Verse 26. God is really going to save us. He's not leaving it up to us. He's got us firmly in His hands. And so, our hope is a sure hope. It's a certain hope. It's a concrete hope. And so in the next couple of verses, in the last couple of verses here, Paul comes back to the certainty of our hope as Christians. Yes, here and now, we will suffer. Yes, here and now, we will be frustrated. But don't despair, because God is using everything to further His purpose, His purpose to save us and to bring us home to glory. God is at work in everything, in everything for our good, even in frustration, even in disappointments and struggles and suffering, even through our sin, even through all the dark times, God is at work for our good. Look with me at verse 28. Look how awesome this is, verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. And then Paul shows us this magnificent, unbreakable chain of salvation. From before creation, God already knew us and loved us. And so, He chose us. He predestined us to be His very own. And so, by His Spirit, He called us to be Christians and made us born again. And so, He justified us. He pardoned us. He forgave us. And His purpose is to bring us to glory. His unstoppable purpose is to bring us to glory. Look with me at verse 29 and 30. Verse 29 and 30. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those He predestined, He also called. Those He called, He also justified. Those He justified, He also glorified. Some people call this the golden chain of salvation. And notice, if you're a Christian, you'll notice that most of these links the links in this chain, most of it is already in place, right? We've already been foreknown. We've already been predestined. We've already been called. We've already been justified. Friends, there's just one step left. We're just one step away from glory. And nothing, 
is going to stop God. Nothing could stop him. Nothing can stop him. Nothing will stop him. If you're a Christian, you're as good as glorified. At the end of verse 30, you might have noticed that Paul writes that word glorified in the past tense. It hasn't happened yet, but he writes it in the past tense. He writes it as if it's already happened. Why? You know why? Because in the mind of God, it's as good as done. That's why. Because from God's perspective, you and me as Christians, our glorification is already complete. It's as good as done. It's guaranteed. Well, church, can you see the point of this passage? Paul is showing us what life in the Spirit looks like. Paul is showing us what it feels like for Christians to live the Spirit-led life here in this world. Not in glory, here in this world. Paul is showing us what to expect when. Right now, we live in a fallen world. Now, for sure, there is sin and suffering and frustration. But now, we have a sure hope. We have a taste of heaven because the Holy Spirit lives within us, frustrating us, yes, but also working within us, praying for us right now. Now, we know that God is definitely going to bring us into glory, a glory that's going to make all our suffering here on earth seem like peanuts, seem like nothing. It's not going to compare. And so what should we do? What should our response be to all this? We wait patiently. Verse 25. We wait patiently. That's the appropriate response. We wait patiently. No matter what, we as believers, we hold on to our hope. We fix our eyes on Jesus who died for our sin. We fix our eyes on him who rose again and we wait patiently. Some years ago, I used to go to the gym and I had a personal trainer. I had a PT. We got together multiple times in a week and he would push me to train harder. He pushed me for consistency. He pushed me to lift heavier weights. Sometimes I felt like vomiting. Sometimes I couldn't walk afterwards. Sometimes I regretted committing to this. It was like torture for me. But even through all that pain, I endured. Why? For the glory that was before me, the glory of a healthy body. The whole time I knew that my trainer was doing it for my good. I knew that all this pain was going to get me to my goal. Christian, we know that in all things, God works for the good of His people. We know His great unbreakable plan to bring us into glory. We know that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed in us. That's what He says. We know that there is so much glory and joy to come. And so as we suffer, as we struggle, and as we live in this frustrated and sin-tainted world, we set our minds and we set our hearts in the future that is to come, the hope before us, and we wait patiently. Okay, let's come back to the question I asked you earlier. What should it feel like to be a Christian here and now? What should our expectation be? What should it feel like to be a Christian? What does it feel like to live according to the Spirit here and now? On the one hand, friends, we've got to get clear that we don't want to expect too much here and now. Does that make sense? 
This passage makes that abundantly clear. Now, God's plan is that we will be without sin forever. God's plan is to heal us from all disease, all sickness. God's plan really is to bring us into amazing prosperity and abundance for sure. God's plan really is to give us a world of justice and peace and harmony. God's plan is that there will be no pandemic, no more cancer, no divorce, no marital unfaithfulness, no death, no suffering. That is God's plan for sure. Glory is coming and that for sure is God's plan. But we're not there yet. For now, as Christians, we live in a fallen world, a world marred by sin, a world that is groaning along with us. For now, there is suffering and frustration and groaning and longing for heaven. Church, we cannot expect the glory of heaven here on earth. The Bible just doesn't let us do that. And the people who say that we can expect the glory of heaven here on earth, they're setting us up for fall. They're setting us up for a massive disappointment. They're setting us up for what I call the jaded Christian life, where we have unrealistic and unbiblical expectations. So us following Jesus is just marked by confusion and disappointment. And I've seen way too many of them leave the church and leave the faith because they've got it all twisted. Friends, let me give you some big words. Forgive me. I'm going to give you some big words, words that describe the deep theological error of the people who say that you and I can live in full abundance and without sin and with great prosperity and with no sickness. Their problem is they have an over-realized eschatology. That's their problem. They are suffering from an over-realized eschatology. I know they're big words. Let me explain. Over-realized eschatology. Eschatology is a study of the end times, the last things. It's the Christian study of what the Bible says about when the world is going to end, when Jesus comes back, when this world is going to end, when you and I as Christians get taken to the new heaven and the new earth, the study of judgment day. Things like that, that's eschatology. Study of the end times is eschatology. And over-realized, over-realized, means that we're expecting too much of those things here and now. In other words, our expectations are over-realized. It's wrong. We've blown it way out of proportion. We're expecting way too much of what's to come in the here and now. Over-realized eschatology. That is the big problem of many Christians around the world. Whether it be about physical healing or sinless perfection or the prosperity gospel or the utopian dream, whatever it might be, they all suffer from what is called an over-realized eschatology. They're expecting heaven on earth right now, but friends, the truth is we're not in heaven. We're on earth, still living under the shackles of our sin-tainted world, under the curse of God on judgment and sin. Friends, there are way too many Christians today expecting the things of heaven here on earth. Church, let me tell you right now, you don't want to fall into that error because we're bound to be disappointed. And the Bible just doesn't let us fall into that kind of error if we read it carefully. And this is profoundly important for us because 
a lot of us, we come from a charismatic background and there's nothing wrong with being a charismatic Christian, but there are way too many charismatic preachers who have an over-realized eschatology. They pray for someone and they expect them to be healed. But friend, we're not in heaven yet. Many of us grew up in the Korean church. A lot of Korean churches, same problem, an over-realized eschatology. And, and, and you see the mark of these people is, is when they pray for something and God doesn't answer, they get so discouraged, they walk away. They've got an over-realized eschatology. Friends, we have to be very careful with who we read, who we follow, what we watch, what we listen to online, in social media. Friends, go back to what the Bible says about the hope that we have in the Spirit-filled life. Friends, we don't want an over-realized eschatology. But on the other hand, we also don't want an under-realized eschatology. You know what I mean by that, right? We, we, we don't want to expect too little here on earth either. Because right now, we Christians, the fact is, we have got some awesome, awesome blessings. That's the truth. That's the facts. Things that should, things that should help us here and now. Things that should empower us and encourage us and strengthen us and change us in the here and now as we wait patiently. Friends, we've been loved before the world was made. Think about that. We've been loved before the creation of the universe. The God of creation knew you by name. That's how much He loved you. We have been chosen to be God's people. God has given His one and only Son to die for us so that we are justified and pardoned, made righteous, that we are forgiven. So there's no condemnation for you and me. What is more? God has given to us His own Spirit, the Holy Spirit. We have already got the first taste of heaven. The Spirit is at work in us, giving us hope day in and day out, assuring us that God is our Father, assuring us of our future inheritance. And the Spirit is praying for us praying the prayers that we ought to pray but can't manage to, praying prayers that God is listening to and that God will answer. And so right now, we Christians have got a powerful hope, a powerful hope. God loves us. God is at work in the bad things and in the good things to bring us to glory. And that glory will make our present suffering seem like nothing at all. So, what does it feel like to be a Christian? What should we expect as Christians? What does it look like to live according to the Spirit? Yes, there is suffering. Yes, there is frustration. Yes, there is darkness. Yes, there is longing. Don't be surprised by any of that. We're following the path of Jesus Himself, friends. But it must really make a difference in the here and now, right? It really should fill us with joy here and now. At the same time, by God's Holy Spirit, we should be confident. We should be convinced that we are going to glory. We're following Jesus through His suffering into glory. And so here and now, we as Christians should joyfully fix our eyes on Jesus with a deep and profound joy, even in the tough times. We should fix our eyes on Jesus and we should joyfully by the power of the Spirit, serve 
our loving Heavenly Father and serve His people and reach the world with the gospel of salvation. We should wait patiently, joyfully, expectantly, and obediently. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You and we praise You that we can call You our Father. Lord, we thank You for Your work in us by the power of Your Spirit. Lord, we thank You that You have given to us certainty of the future and the first taste of heaven. Lord, we thank You so much that You give to us this concrete hope of a glory that is to come. Our Father, we pray that you will so fill us with your spirit that we can be confident and patient and joyful as we continue to fix our eyes on Christ. Father, we pray through the many ups and downs of life that you might keep our glance and our, our eyes rock solid fixed on you. We pray that your son, the risen Lord Jesus, might be the joy of our hearts, that he would strengthen us to live meaningfully and purposefully for the gospel. Lord, we pray that as you hold us until we see you, that you will increase our joy and our confidence in you. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.